The Start. On Demand. On Demand. We began our show today with the result of the U.S. election still very much up in the air, but we still spoke at length about the election as it is turning out to be quite a tight race in a number of key states. We'll head back to Colorado to speak with Winnipegger Rick Bolin, who joined us on Tuesday. He'll offer some follow-up thoughts, including what he thinks about pollsters. Manitoba Health Minister Cameron Friesen is taking some heavy criticism after some comments about Manitoba's doctors, whom he says are causing chaos. And when you need a break from everything that's going on in the world, when you need to laugh, when you need an escape from reality, do you have a favorite TV show or a favorite movie you go to? What is your favorite comfort viewing? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, November 4th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Yesterday, it was around 5.30, and I noticed I was getting so sleepy, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go to bed at 7 o'clock and wake up and see what happens. And then suddenly it's 10 o'clock, and I think to myself, damn it! Greg, what time did you get to bed? (laughs) 11.30, 12 o'clock. Holy, and you, what time did you get here? I was here just before, just after 3, I guess it was, 3.16, something like that. Did, Mackling 3.16 says, I got no sleep. <laughs> what, did you get any sleep? I got a little bit of sleep, uh, but in the middle of it all, I heard comments uh, from the uh, current president of the United States, uh, something that he sort of suggested he wasn't going to say last night or in the, in the early hours of today, but uh, I guess he just couldn't help himself. We will win this, and we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. So I just want to thank you. Now, Loren, how much sleep did you get? Uh, I think it was around 12.30 that I fell asleep. I fell asleep to the, on the couch for the first time and I don't know how long. As an aside, it is not as comfortable as it used to be, so <laughs> that was not fun. But uh, yeah, I, I woke up repeatedly between 12 and 3 just to check my text to see if anything had changed and so of course family was still up and texting back and forth and and it was a family member of mine who just said did anyone else just hear trump he's already declaring victory and the thing that really is truly frustrating me this morning no matter no matter what what which side of the political fence you stand on how you feel about all this is that what's happening right now is exactly what they said was going to happen yep. two months ago so i could have just had a really good night's sleep and ignored all this and woke up this morning and 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 been where i was in august basically with this prediction of how close it would come and how the fact that it was going to take days to count lots of these mail-in ballots and I just kept the what kept me up is that I kept watching those numbers and thinking, well, something has to change. Like this is so bizarre that they're stuck where they are. And then I realized, no, this is this is what we were warned this was going to be like. And so it just felt like this exercise and in, in exhaustion and fruition. It was what a bizarre night and what a what a bizarre days it's going to continue to be. Things are quiet so far, and hopefully they stay that way with regards to, uh, you know, social unrest. Uh, We saw so many preparations in the United States uh, with regard to that. Uh, Some large retailers and and other storefronts being boarded up right across the United States of America. That uh, unscalable fence, as they were calling it, around the White House in preparation for perhaps uh, demonstrations and other things. Uh, As we sit right now, there there is no winner. Uh, Right now, the electoral map uh, looks like this. At least this is the one CNN is posting. 
Joe Biden has 224 electoral college votes and Donald Trump has 213 more votes are coming in from Wisconsin. We're waiting for votes from Michigan. That race is has narrowed dramatically, Brett, in the last hour or so since we came into the studio and started doing some work. And then uh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> for how many months, like you said, Loren, did people say it was going to come down to Pennsylvania? And here we are. They can take, according to their state laws, they can take until Friday to count all their ballots. Well, they don't start counting them, I think, until Election Day, which is different than other states, right? They have different plans for when they begin the process of their mail-in ballots. And so they they start counting them at 7 a.m. on Election Day, which is different from other states, which start counting them as soon as those ballots come in, right? And so that's why they're so far behind. And it's so bizarre. Four years ago, there was all these polls and predictions, and they were they were, they were all wrong, which, <laughs> which is why I think a lot of people were nervous to count what was being said this time around. And this time around, it appears to have all fallen exactly as people predicted. You mentioned Michigan. I think CNN was reporting in the last eight minutes, the count went from a 200,000 vote lead to Trump, now down to 60,000, and it's slowly dwindling, dwindling away. So that's the kind of thing I think we'll see throughout the day. If you're interested in this, you better pack your patience, is all we can say. And now it's a 45,000 vote yeah. lead in Michigan. And Democratic challenger Joe Biden had this to say about his chances as the results remain in limbo. And we're feeling real good about Wisconsin and Michigan. And by the way, it's going to take time to count the votes. We're going to win Pennsylvania. So you kind of mentioned the pollsters, uh, Loren. There was some suggestion by some polls that we might see some sort of blue wave. And there may be the suggestion and the thoughts that the polls seem to have been wrong. Again, here's Global's Reggie Cicchini on that. This is a lesson that America went through once in 2016. They're going through it again, seeing that, yes, Joe Biden had a big national lead going into this election and understanding that those battleground states were in such a tight margin. I'm not sure that the polls picked up how close these margins were and the fact that we could be sitting here for hours, if not days, trying to figure out what the vote is going to be. And it's left for what people are left out here now, you know, an era of frustration. You know, I'm standing in Black Lives Matter Plaza, and this kind of has become a community hub to push back and fight against the Trump administration. And here these people are now unclear as to what's actually going to happen when it comes to the leadership in this country. So we've got more details throughout the morning here on The Start, including in our next segment. Reggie Giacchini, by the way, is uh, set to join us this morning after 7 o'clock. And, uh, of course, you can get more information at cjob.com. I got here 20 after 4 and went to say hi to our friends over at Global News Morning. And uh, Skylar Peters, who was on the evening shift last night, was still here. He had just wrapped up putting together some stuff for us this morning. And indeed, Mr. Peters brings us some of the sound bites from an election night that's left the race between Donald Trump and Joe Biden still up in the air as we head into the election's second day. We feel good about where we are. We really do. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. I'm here to tell you tonight, we believe we're on track to win this election. In an election where Americans are perhaps more divided than ever before, the two presidential candidates went to sleep last night with seemingly entirely different feelings on their prospects. 
There were little surprises when most people turned out the lights last night, but Joe Biden and the Democrats were confident in an unlikely battleground state. We believe one of the nets has suggested we've already won Arizona, but we're confident about Arizona. That's a turnaround. Overnight, the Associated Press called Arizona to go to the Democrats for the first time in 24 years. Georgia is still up in the air as well, with Democrat-heavy Atlanta counting far fewer ballots than the more conservative rural areas. Despite optimism from Democrats, the Republicans were able to keep Florida and Texas red, and it sets up an uphill battle for Biden as more votes are counted in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania today the states that are shaping up to decide this election. Despite a nearly double-digit deficit when he spoke at 12.45 a.m. in Delaware, Biden was exuding confidence. It's going to take time to count the votes. We're going to win Pennsylvania. Counting on those mail-in votes that are expected to lean Democrat. I'm going to talk to the folks in Philly, Allegheny County, Scranton, and they're really encouraged by the turnout and what they see. Trump now calling any results posted on Wednesday into question. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want saying these votes should be, be invalidated. In proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. And Biden, though he spoke over an hour earlier than Trump, knew his opponent would take this stance. It's not my place or Donald Trump's place to declare who's won this election. That's the decision of the American people. Canadians, too, watching this election closely with trade, security and our health during the pandemic all at stake as our southern neighbours cast their ballots. A race that our elected officials usually shy away from commenting on, but not NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. A country just south of our border has so abysmally failed the challenge of this global pandemic, has put people in the United States at risk and has put, frankly, the world at risk. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, however, had a different tone. Canada is well positioned and ready uh, to continue to work with the American people and the American government, uh, regardless of the outcomes of, of tonight. A tonight that's now become a tomorrow. And there's no certainty that we'll have a winner when the sun goes down today either, with some counties expected to count votes into Friday and the possibility of court challenges dragging this into the territory of weeks or even months. But there was a winner on Tuesday. Democracy, a largely peaceful day. With little violence and far fewer arrests than some may have expected, Americans, Canadians, and those around the world hoping that continues again. Skylar Peters, Global News. So it's a waiting game, guys. Count continues in many of those key states that Skylar mentioned that both Biden and Trump are watching. And I think there's going to be more questions as we move forward through this. We were just talking about the polls. Yes, some predicted a blue wave, but there was also those warning about how tight we'd be and that we'd be in this exact position this morning, still waiting to figure out who the U.S. president was. And and here we are. And then another question are people being honest in those polls anymore? I have to ask that because it, it, it has me wondering if when asked who they're going to vote for, Americans are now just outright lying because they don't want to admit they may or may not be voting for who they're voting for. And that's how we got to where we are today with complete zero clarity. Yeah, I uh, was asked yesterday, who do you think is going to win? And I said, I think Donald Trump is mm-hmm. going to win. Yeah. And that, we had, that was why we asked the question, because we wanted to put aside who do you want to win? Who do you right. think is going to win? Right. What's your and, prediction? Yeah. And make the call. And I just had this feeling that it's going to be Donald Trump and all this talk about you know, the blue wave and Joe Biden's going to sweep. I thought, this sounds kind of like what the last time around. Yeah. So. 
Yep. And I think that was the problem, too. I think that, you know, even though you have those polls saying one thing or showing how tight it would be in other states, there was all of us who have watched that night four years ago. But I remember last night at 930 thinking uh, right around this time, hmm. 2016, where I felt the exact same thing. Here we go again. This feels familiar. As you are aware, things are kind of weird all around the world right now. And sometimes it helps to just put on something familiar. And, Loren, uh, this conversation uh, started with you. You mentioned something to me the other day. Well, I, I've been telling you guys that I hate all the passwords in my life, so I was re- refusing to adopt any more streaming networks because I couldn't handle having to remember one more way to log on. But over the weekend, I caved, uh, finally logged into my Amazon account and was delighted to find this. And what is this? First of all, catchy opening. It's Parks and Recreation. And I'm now on to the second season. I laugh every single time. And my, my goal here is, and this happened at the start of the pandemic, I rewatched all of The Office. I rewatched all of Modern Family, strictly because I was looking for a laugh, particularly before bedtime. I needed to get my mind off what was going on. And it feels like I've come full circle. And thank goodness I have Amy Poehler and... Pratt and the gang being delightful people in a government office wasting our time. I love everything about it. Yeah, and another, you, you drew another uh, sort of uh, reference here or, con- or connecting some dots from the election to comfort shows, right? And well, going think- back to the reruns. We're going, well, doesn't it feel like we're in one right now? I think when you look at reality, when you look at what's going on in the States, many people will think, oh, is this 2016 all over again in terms of thinking one thing would happen or hoping one thing would happen and and the opposite might be coming true. And more than that, I think it's going to be days of watching what's going on in the States before we know a clearer picture. And so go back to another rerun that's uh, fictional and maybe you'll feel a little better. All right. Now, Jeff Braun, let's turn to you. Did Loren happen to steal your uh, comfort show? Because I know you love Parks and Rec. Yeah, no, it's always on my list too. But uh, like her, I've run through a few shows already during uh, well, started during the pandemic. I did my Cheers rewatch and Friends and The Office, and I actually have just sort of tailing off on watching Friends episodes. So I've got to make a decision. I think the next one I'm going to go through is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia because I have ten seasons of that on DVD and I haven't seen it in a while, and it is hysterically funny. It's really out there, and it's it'll take my mind off things. I would also suggest happy endings that's on my list as well and uh the the best show of all time which i haven't seen in quite a while seinfeld i got those dvds just waiting to come out i've been saving them for the cold uh the cold winter which you know i'll be stuck in my home for a lot of january february so i think the seinfeld's going to help me through that you did recently plow through the entire series of cheers which I still think is an impressive feat, so good for you. And <laughs> no you, you mentioned Seinfeld. Greg, what about you? Well, for me, uh, it's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Another catchy song. Great song, sets the tone, sets the mood, and I've discovered that it's on Crave, right at the top of Crave. And so what I do now is I just pick two numbers. One is the season, the other is an episode. I'm not watching them in order, completely random. And I, I did like I did eight and five the other day. And then I thought, ah, 
damn, I want to watch the Pig Parker episode. It was the Pig Parker episode. Come on. <laughs> totally by chance. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing with Curb. And it just it melts everything else away. I put my phone down. I don't look at Twitter, believe it or not. I don't believe it. And I just, <laughs> I just immerse myself in the world of Larry David. Is anyone else picturing Greg? I mean, keep this song up. I want Greg to just start walking around the studio. I feel like this is his, like... Walking song. Dun, dun, dun. Greg is going for the kitchen in a coffee. Well, well, there have some, been some things that have happened over the last couple of days this song would be absolutely perfect for. So. <laughs> Kelly Moore, what about you? What's your comfort viewing? Well, uh, it, there, there are some shows, but if I really need to feel good. Oh, hello. Hello. Um, this is my mom and my dad and my Uncle Tony and my Auntie Glenn. Very nice to meet you. Ah, yes. And um, this is the Prime Minister. Yes, we can see that, darling. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, we're very late. It's the school Christmas concert, you see, David. Ah. It's the first time all the local schools have joined together. Even St Basil. Too much detail, Mum. Uh, anyway, uh, how can we help, sir? Well, I just needed Natalie. Uh, Hugh Grant, uh, as the English Prime Minister and his... Uh, uh, Secretary Natalie, who certainly uh, uh, formed a bond in love, actually. That is a movie that I don't know how many times I've seen it. I could see it another hundred, and it always makes me feel good. Yeah, that's a, it's such a great movie because it, it's not just a sappy love story. It covers love of all angles, yeah. families, <laughs> friends, uh, people Eight seeking different scenarios. Action. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and, and I love uh, Bill Nye as the aging rocker oh, making his Christmas comeback. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Producer Kyle, what about you? Um, I like, there's a lot of shows on Adult Swim that I like watching. Uh, Bob's Burgers, uh, Family Guy. Uh, one of my favorite underrated uh, animated shows, King of the Hill. I love watching, they always show a couple episodes of that on Adult Swim. So I just, you know, I'll, I'll hit 454 on my TV a lot and something good will be on most of the time. And that I, especially this time of year because I watch a lot of horror movies and I cannot go to bed after watching a horror movie. So I have to go and watch an episode of something, uh, less scary so i'll do that <laughs> king of the hill i can't remember the name of the character but i remember one moment where he comes home one of the supporting characters and he says to his wife who's on his on her way out the door what's for dinner and she says i left a carton of cigarettes on the table and he says hot damn <laughs> that sounds like dale, sounds like dale. <laughs> and uh for me this is uh, not really a surprise well for me it's the marvel cinematic universe anything marvel related although i got to point out because i it, we've had conversations similar to this before uh and i've mentioned that oddly enough one of my comfort movies is seven it's it's depressing but i don't know i just i like it it's familiar and he tweets out last night oh this is so bleak and depressing i gotta turn this off and put on one of my comfort movies seven so (laughs) (laughs) there's a reason you're good friends Text message from Al Loren who says, LOL, Ohioanians. I don't care what they are, but that's what they should be called. They're Ohioanians. Buc- they're, they're Buckeyes, or I think it's Ohioans. I think it is, but think, it's more funny to add, oh, you know, like Saskatchewanianians. Yeah. Uh, have you ever Caledonians, heard? Have you ever heard? Words. Have you ever heard anyone from down east, Loren, call uh, Winnipegers a uh, Winnipegian? No, but that, I'll take it. You've got to put an I-A-N on anything. Let's just start doing that today. We're watching Michiganian. 
Pennsylvanian. Yeah, I think I've everything. heard Winnipegian before. Winnipegian, Michigander. Yeah. Some of those are some of those are pretty fun. And Kristen texting us about her comfort viewing, and she says my most shameful secret is which TV show I have watched again and again. There's no shame in whatever is your comfort show, your nope. comfort viewing. It's yours. Kristen says, embarrassing as it is, it has taught me things that have helped me socially and professionally. That's right. It's Grey's Anatomy. And she adds, not too long ago, there was a weird uh, situation at work, and I recalled a similar case on Grey's. Sure enough, a quick episode search, and we had a diagnosis for the situation. (laughs) Plus, already knowing what will happen takes the anxiety out of everything between Grey's and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Very good. I am set. Loren, I'm going to tie it back to wine, if I might. At Earl's, we used to say, we used to say, any wine you like is a good wine. And I like think that works very well with television shows. When Brett said, was it last year for Christmas? What kind of wine do you like, Loren? And I said, red. Yeah. <laughs> you like, want to be more specific? No, do you? <laughs> so I got you a box, I think, right? Uh, that barely fit in the bag. And actually, even Christopher Sprague from 5 to 9 Wellington, the sommelier over there, he will say the same thing. Any good wine is one that you like. doesn't matter how expensive it is. As long as you like it, that's good enough. Many Manitobans are reacting with frustration, anger, and even calls the health minister should resign after Cameron Friesen questioned the motivation of doctors who have been publicly sharing their concerns. The health system is overrun. It centers around a letter that was sent to to the premier signed by more than 200 doctors, researchers, and scientists who are asking for more help to fight this pandemic, with some also telling CJOB they worry the restrictions that were just put in place don't go far enough. And so that letter prompted Manitoba's health minister during a health estimates committee hearing yesterday to say this. And I have to wonder about the motivation of those doctors who signed that letter. And I know many of them. And I will talk to many of them. And I get it. They're scared and they want the best for their patients. And I absolutely agree. But I wonder at the motivation to produce that letter, to produce, to generate it at a time when they knew it would have maximum effect in causing chaos in the system when Manitobans need most to understand that the people in charge have got this. We're joined now by Dr. Eric Jacobson. He's an anesthesiologist and an intensive care doctor at both St. Boniface and HSC. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. What would you like to say to the health minister after hearing those comments? Well, I'd just like to uh, reiterate that the intention of the letter was for those docs working on the front lines who seeing the ravages of this disease, caring for patients, having their colleagues get sick, having their nursing colleagues and other people are contributing to uh, patient care getting sick, understand that uh, the situation out there is dire right now. There appears to be, at least for those on the, uh, of us on the front lines, to be uh, a paucity or deficiency in resources in some areas. And the intention of this was not motivated by malice or any sinister. It was... Uh, uh, um, means it was uh, to, to try and uh, vocalize what we were seeing on the front lines. We're part of a public health care system, and it is our moral obligation to speak up when we think the system is stressed. So 
again, we want to be part of the solution. We want to contribute and, uh, again, to suggest um, uh, to us and all those docs and busy uh, caring for patients that there were some kind of ulterior motives is, is, uh, is outrageous. And I, I think the statement was very unfortunate. And as the Twitter sphere and other social media suggested, many people find it was appalling. Uh, Dr. Jacobson, uh, is it too simple to attach two words to your letters that you've written so far? Hippocratic oath, does that oversimplify things? It, it probably does. You know, as I said to uh, another news uh, station this morning, you know, the easiest thing, uh, easy understates it for clinicians, doctors, nurses, other healthcare workers, is to go in, grind away, try and do the right thing, try and protect, try and help your patients, try and keep yourself safe and just go home and, and, and not get involved. So, you know, the fact that several hundred docs have now signed on, uh, not to be political activists, but to provide their frontline input. I think the province should see that as a welcome addition to the dialogue, take the advice where they think it's prudent, reject that that they think is not, but, but to suggest to people, you know, just just come to work, just just do your work. Those of us running it, you know, understand and know exactly what's happening is preposterous. You know, uh, I think uh, accept the advice and guidance and help where people offer it. We have, Loren mentioned it, and we're asking the question at cjob.com. It's an option on our poll on whether or not people think the health minister should resign. Is it an overreaction to suggest that the, the by some that the health minister should resign for those comments? I'm not going to get into that. And again, uh, our our motivation here is to contribute to the dialogue. I know the minister's office and all those, um, as uh, the words we use, running the pandemic have been stressed beyond belief. And uh, again, Manitoba has had a glorious history of leaders in infectious diseases for decades, has had a glorious history of being leaders in critical care medicine. In fact, some of the first intensive care units in in Canada and North America uh, originated in in, in Manitoba. So, you know, utilize the um, group wisdom of so many people in the province to help move us along and um, take input not as criticism or being vindictive, take input uh, from people who wish to help as, uh, as, a, as a positive thing and uh, to help us get through very tough times. And um, I think there was a very moving article in the newspaper today. This disease uh, wrecks havoc. And, uh, you know, um, people that are previously healthy are smitten by this and, and can die from it. So, you know, the focus is on uh, it, it has dire consequences in those with pre-existing conditions, and that is true. But uh, uh, don't be mistaken. You can be perfectly healthy, in great physical shape, and get into serious trouble with this disease. So uh, the letter was done in the spirit of contributing, and uh, we stand ready to roll up our sleeves, as we've been doing, but also contribute to the discussion and narrative. (laughs) 
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, CJOB.com for up-to-the-minute results from the U.S. election. Joe Biden currently with 238 electoral votes, Donald Trump 213, but Trump is leading in Pennsylvania, in North Carolina, in Georgia and Alaska, Biden leading in Nevada, Wisconsin and Michigan. This is a tight race. I don't care what your politics are, who you're cheering for. Who doesn't like a tight race? No one wants a landslide. That's boring. So check in at cjob.com. And it looks like Lorena might have to go home and just hunker down on the couch and order some food. And I bet you I know who can tell us what food was being celebrated today. Hal Anderson, <laughs> what is being celebrated today? Well, you know, it's interesting you would say that. Bo- Good morning, by the way, guys. Uh, it's interesting that you would say that uh, because I was just reading that on election night, Typically, the big food is pizza. Um, you know, even newsrooms that are covering elections order in a bunch of pizzas. But because of uh, COVID and, you know, all the things that we know about that I don't need to go into, uh, pizza joints, pizza places were worried going into last night's election. But uh, I did not have pizza yesterday. Um, I uh, had a bit of popcorn and a couple of other things. But I'll tell you what, by 10 o'clock, I saw this was going to be a poop show and i said i'm going to bed i'm going to get i'm going to get a good night's sleep and i i headed for bed but yeah it's boy i don't know how long this is going to go on but it's going to be interesting i don't know if it's going to be fun but it's certainly going to be interesting to watch that's for sure so i think you made the right call hal i i stayed up looking for some sort of clarity and then just kind of went to bed at 12 30 ish in that fog and woke up Woke up thinking there'd be some of those alerts, you know, Brett, like something that mm-hmm. would say something like so that I could fall back asleep. And all I saw was one about Florida. And then I thought, ah, I am never yeah. going to sleep now. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. I set my Jackie alert when I went to bed. I because Jackie stays up later than me that she's just a bit of a night owl. And I said, so, you know, to come wake me up if something really crazy happens or, you know, if there's a decision made. So I, I was not she did not wake me up. So when I got up this morning early at about 430, I thought, oh, man, and I. I uh, flipped on CNN and saw where we were at, and I think we're going to be there for a while. Hey, quickly, moving on to some other stuff, um, I thought of you, Loren, because you're always singing on the show. Is there a song uh, that gives you goosebumps or chills down your spine? Is there a song or, or a type of music that does that for you? Hmm, I don't think there's a type, there, but there are for sure songs, and I think actually now more than ever, how which might just speak to mental health at this time when we're all sort of hunkered down and so much is going on i get teary way more often with all sorts of music than i would have before like taylor swift put out a new album there's a song i was listening to yesterday i'm in sobeys with my mask Mm -hmm. on and tears are coming out of my eyes (laughs) but but chills would be more for me like uh, kind of that anthem type music when when we were honoring um van halen with the death of eddie van halen every song that came on i was like fist pumping and had that tingling feeling Mm -hmm. you do you have a song I cry when I hear Taylor Swift as well, but it's because I want it to stop. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't. You know, there are some songs and types of music. That I, the reason I ask the question is researchers have now been able to scientifically observe what they call uh, musical chills. It is a neurological phenomenon now. They use EEG, and they can actually see a person's musical chills so there you go i thought that was yeah thought that was kind of interesting Uh, we all uh, put the lid down when we flush the toilet right is that safe to say yes 
Okay, good. I have to put everyone's lid down in this house. Well, right, yes. I was thinking about the uh, McNabb household there. Uh, listen, I think guys sometimes are accused of not of not doing that, not putting the lid down, not the seat, but the lid down uh, when they flush. And they have done, uh, they've used uh, cameras and, uh, you know, black lights and all kinds of technology. And apparently, uh, when you do not close the lid, when you flush the toilet, it is like a colorful fireworks display. Ew. (laughs) Aerosol droplets. Listen to this. This is why you you, you close the lid when you flush the toilet. Uh, These droplets, aerosol droplets, can be catapulted up to six feet, possibly even into your face. If you want to go and... Enough I'm just, I'm telling you. Uh, if you want to go in and check it out online, you can see the video. It is uh, it is uh, pretty uh, crazy stuff. And yeah. as you like to say, for the, Hal, for those eating breakfast right now. Yeah. Well, right, yes. Yeah, that goes without saying. Okay, so yes. hang on a second, and I think this is just going to out me here. I was thinking just the seat, like put the seat down. No, so no, not, the lid. You're talking, yeah, I don't, uh, can't say that's a regular habit of mine. I'm disgusted with myself. And most people, probably not. But I'm just saying there are some people that maybe do and flush it and don't put the lid down well stop doing stop doing that you know it might hit me here in south winnipeg i don't need that <laughs> um germiest surface in a supermarket any idea brett germiest surface in a supermarket they've done testing they've gone to 24 grocery stores they've taken 130 samples any idea uh i don't know the the potato chip rack no, nope, that would be you. Your yes. germs are on the potato chip rack, yes. Yep. No, um, it's the pin pad. The oh, pin of pad course. When you, yeah, so that's another reason to uh, make sure you, you know, sanitize your hands and stuff after you go shopping and, and use the pin pad. And I also thought of you, uh, when I read this new term, as you know, I, I see new terms and I kind of get a kick out of them and I like them. All walks, because you do a lot of walking, Brett. Yep. All walks. A-W-E walks. All walks. What is Sounds it? Like a, sounds like a character in Star Wars. Yes. But no. <laughs> All walks. It is when you go for a walk and you turn your attention, you shift your intention, your attention intentionally outward instead of inward. So instead of worrying about COVID-19 and what's going on at home and an unfinished project and that tight deadline, you take a walk an awe walk and it will inspire you bring more joy and they say that experts say that connection uh, to our surroundings is a great way to deal with stress and how do you spell that again oh a w e all walks okay. like oh you know all walk yes okay yeah. There's like mm-hmm. I, I'm just googling this now. There's actually study studies that are being done, and psychologists yep. that are looking at this because of how you need to be looking outwards, not inwards, all the time to just get more headspace. So we should yeah. be asking listeners now, how where's your all walk? Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like I'm not even saying the right word. All walk. All walk. All walks. Yeah, kind of like that. I guess. I don't. Hey, and you remember a while ago, you guys were talking. I saw this and thought of you guys too. As you know, I listen every morning. I'm a fan of the show. Remember the wolf spider that you guys talked about? That big spider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they have found, and it's in the same family. Okay, so we have wolf spiders around here. This is in the same family. It's called the great fox spider. Great fox spider. And they thought it was extinct. They thought it was done. They have found one in Britain. It's been 25 years since they've seen one. Google that baby and check out that monster. And why do they call it the Great Fox Spider? 
because it has a habit of chasing down its prey and wait until you see this spider. It's in the same family as the wolf spider, but the great fox spider, if you want to look up something today and go, OMG, that, or, oh you know, don't God, put the lid down when you flush. That's another way to <laughs> or have maybe some the excitement in your life in there today. Too. Oh, God, right, the yes. In the yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's quite majestic, but I would not want to see one in person. No, uh-uh, not at all. All right, guys, have a great day. Hey, before you go, Hal, uh, yes. the reason I was asking about food, was it yesterday that was sandwich day? Oh, yeah, those, right, okay, I got it now. Yes, we were taking calls uh, yesterday. It was sandwich day, your favorite sandwich, what makes a great sandwich, yes. Would it, was there a, a particular sandwich that was the overwhelming favorite? Not really. A lot of Monte Cristos, a lot of Rubens, um, but I was just blown away by the unusual sandwiches, like people with just crazy, like somebody said, uh, uh, white onions and peanut butter, honey and che- and that's one, honey and cheese whiz, and then some of them were so elaborate, they had multiple items and just the strangest combinations we talked to harrison from myers deli which has been around since the 50s in winnipeg and he said that's often how they get their cool sandwiches their signature sandwiches is somebody comes in order something and they go hey that sounds kind of good they try it and they go it's fantastic and that's how it ends up on the menu so i thought that was kind of cool all right hal well hey thanks for the great sandwich ideas uh, who doesn't like a good sandwich and who doesn't like hal anderson afternoons one to four on 680 cjob and loren uh, before we pause here i just got to quickly ask you when it comes to putting like, let's say you don't have a, a lid on the toilet. You just have the seat. If the man fails to put the seat down, what exactly is the problem there? When you sit down, because you guys don't sit, so uh-huh. I'm going to sit on the seat that has remnants of what you just did there sometimes on it. Okay. So, and it's uncomfortable, and it's gross, and that's the problem. Well, so is the... the well, I mean, if, if I go in the washroom, I have to lift it up. So what's the big deal if you have to put the seat down? Because if it's 3 in the morning and you're getting up to go to the washroom and suddenly you find yourself half in the toilet or something gross on you, you're, you don't have time. You don't see it. Well, how's that my fault if you fall because into a toilet because you didn't look? Put the seat down. Put the seat down. <laughs> well, just look at what you're doing. Hey, put <laughs> the seat down. I don't think it's rocket science. And I do not quite frankly know why men aren't just taught to sit from birth. That would solve so many problems. Says the life. person who suggests that they could fall into a toilet bowl. And you're telling me to talk about learn how to sit. See, no, just do it from the beginning. <laughs> if you're not standing, there would never be, a, there'd be like 40% less fights in a household if you just sat while you peed. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb at CJOB.com. Joe Biden continues to hold a 238 electoral vote lead over Donald Trump at 213. Biden leads in Nevada, Wisconsin, Michigan. Donald Trump leads in Pennsylvania. Still a lot of votes unaccounted for there yet. North Carolina, Georgia, and Alaska as we continue our election coverage. And Greg, we're going to revisit... uh, Someone we spoke to yesterday. Yeah, Rick Boland joins us from uh, Winter Park in Colorado, where he's lived for, holy crow, I'm trying to do the math here, Boland. Is it almost, is it 30 years you've been in the U.S.? 
Good to talk to you, man. Sorry I missed our conversation yesterday. Uh, you did such a great job of outlining what uh, what's motivated and created this division within the United States. Uh, now here we are, and uh, the election is uh, maybe as much in question now as it was when the polls closed at 8 o'clock last night or, or thereabouts, depending on where you were. How do you see it right now? It's... Um I would describe it as interesting, but the way you use interesting to describe a terrible bottle of wine, uh, not interesting as in like I'd like more. Um, it, is, it is terrifying. Uh, it really, uh, everything about this doesn't feel right. And, um, and I think that's, that's kind of where I'm starting this morning. Walk us through that. What do you mean doesn't feel right? Is it about the process, about the weight, about the decision that may or may not get made? What's what's the terrifying factors there for you, Rick? Yeah, I think the terrifying parts are, um, this is two elections in a row now where the so-called experts have gotten it so wrong. And how is it possible that um, institutions that, are supposed to be gauging the public's interest and direction um, have completely failed to understand where the electorate were at. Because, you know, not on election day, these people are supposed to demonstrate to us that they actually are able to sort of take the temperature of the country and give reasonable feedback on where they think it's at. And on election day, we get to check their work. And, and, and right now they're getting an F, right? And why that's terrifying is... Policymakers depend on their advice, the advice of pollsters, the advice of, of the experts, the advice of the pundits, as they make public policy between elections, right? And so if public policy is being guided by such awful advice, you know, three years and, and 364 days, it, it should leave you feeling slightly terrified that the country isn't going in the right direction because the advice that policymakers are getting is terrible. And we know that advice is terrible because on election night, when we get to check the work of the pundits, it turns out the pundits aren't very good. Yesterday, you touched on the fact that you spent some time at NATO in Brussels, but you also spent some time working for the governor in Colorado. So uh, this is sort of in your wheelhouse. Can you just expand about this whole idea of, of being able to set policy and, and look uh, gaze a little bit into the future based on what pollsters and, and some other individuals do in, in setting the table and predicting what's going to happen in a situation like a, like a presidential election, Rick? Sure. Um, you know, when you're inside the room and you're, you're part of the conversation about, you know, do we zig or do we zag? You know, do we do X or do we do Y? Uh, you rely heavily on, on uh, public opinion. You rely heavily on focus group work. You rely heavily on getting uh, out and actually talking to normal people in their normal lives. And it, it sounds cliche, but the ability to go into a diner um, you know, sit down at the counter or look at the person beside you and ask, so what are you thinking? Like, hey, you know, I, I, I work for the governor and, and uh, we're worried about this policy or that policy. Um, you know, how do you in your everyday life feel about that, right? And, and getting the, get, taking people's temperature and, and thinking about these things, not just reading what they say in the newspaper. And, and so that ability to understand that, you know, uh, there, there's a very, very, very famous polling question, and, and it's been asked the same way for about 75 years. 
And, and, the, and the question is, on this issue, fill in the blank, whatever that issue is, right, are we going in the right direction or are we on the wrong track? Keep it real simple, right? I don't want any nuance here. Does it feel right to you or does this not feel right? And, and that ability to understand what the public are thinking prevents government from becoming governed by the elite, Right, whether the elite be the intellectual elite or the elite be the re, the, the the resource rich elite, um, and if if the infrastructure for gauging the public's opinion is so broken, uh, and we see that on election night, then the advice that that policymakers are getting the rest of the time is just is is horrendous. Do you think that Donald Trump, I mean, say whatever you want about his politics, but there's never been anybody like him in terms of the way he speaks to the people. Do you think Donald Trump just does a better job at talking to people like like a normal, a quote unquote, normal person? He, he seems to put the politician aside. Uh, wow. I'm going to say something provocative and you guys can take me off the air if it's too provocative. But the suggestion that nobody has ever been able to talk like Donald Trump. Um, I think what you mean is that no one in America has ever been able to speak like Donald Trump. I didn't say uh, that no one. I didn't say no one was able to. I just said no one. There's never been anybody quite like Donald Trump. Oh uh, yeah, right. So, um, you know, a lot of people point to Germany as an example of a populist leader who was able to play on people's fears. Um, and I think that I will grant to you. Okay, it's not that people aren't able to rally voters the way Donald Trump rallies voters. It's that people are not willing to abandon our basic norms of decency and respect and civility in order to get the results that Donald Trump gets. And I think there's a big difference there, that most people imagine a line in the sand that they are not willing to cross. Most most politicians, most policymakers, imagine that given the opportunity on a national stage, they would never say, proud boys, you know, stand back and stand ready, or whatever his exact expression was. I think most policymakers would not refer to neo-Nazis as good people, right? And, and I think that what Donald Trump has been able to do is to demonstrate that if you are willing to question the legitimacy of the basic institutions that underpin our democracy, like the Department of Justice, right, and you're willing to ignore the norms like decency, respect, and civility, you can make a lot of headway with everyday voters because most voters are scared about the future. Because we are in a ter- uh, we are in a time of, of incredible change. Not you know technology is driving an economy forward that many people don't fit into, right? But we also are then being hit by COVID, and we are being hit by an international uh, a reshuffling of the international order that leaves Americans wondering where do we fit. We've got calls out today to Manitoba's health minister asking him to join CJOB at any point today to provide insight on comments he made yesterday about hundreds of Manitoba doctors, Lauren. 
Yeah, and those comments, they center around a letter that was sent to the Premier this week that was signed by more than 200 doctors, researchers, scientists, and that the crux of the letter was they were basically saying the system is overrun right now and they need help to fight this pandemic. And in fact, we've had doctors come on air every day, I think, for the last week, basically saying to CGOB that they worried the restrictions that were put in place might not go far enough. So there's a bunch of things at play here. And yesterday, during a health estimates committee hearing, Cameron Friesen, the health minister, was asked about this letter. Here was his response. Apologies. Sorry about that. Hang on one second here. Let's try that again. And I will talk to many of them. And I have to wonder about the motivation of those doctors who signed that letter. And I know many of them. And I will talk to many of them. And I get it. They're scared and they want the best for their patients. And I absolutely agree. But I wonder at the motivation to produce that letter, to produce, to generate it at a time when they knew it would have maximum effect in causing chaos in the system when Manitobans need most to understand that the people in charge have got this. Usually when you hear something uh, over and over again, maybe it calms you down. I think I'm angrier. The person who prompted that response was NDP health critic Uzoma Azaguara, and she joins us now. Uh, Uzoma, thank you so much for joining us. What exactly did you ask the health minister? Yeah, thank you for having me on today. Um, the context was, was simply that, you know, I I brought up the, the letter that the doctors had written and signed hundreds of doctors expressing their concerns and actually i was asking about a system capacity in regards to icu so you know the question was really around what is the capacity in terms of icu beds what's happening in the system in regards to that and uh and the minister responded uh with what you've already what you've already played and, and thousands of manitobans have already heard which was disappointing you used the word disappointing. I'm curious what went through your head uh, because the question was about the letter, but also about the capacity. And then to get that response, what were you thinking as he was responding in that way, questioning the motivation of doctors? And I think it's that word motivation that has so many people upset. Absolutely. To be quite honest, I was shocked in the moment. I, I really was taken aback that the minister would make such a, a disrespectful statement in regards to folks who have made the effort to have their expertise heard on this issue really out of a genuine care and concern for the well-being and health of Manitobans. And, you know, we have the utmost respect for doctors and their expertise and for how hard they're working throughout this pandemic to help keep people safe. And so in that moment, I, I was really taken aback that he would make such uh, a harmful statement. And upon reflecting, I really hope that he takes an opportunity to apologize to those doctors and to doctors broadly who have been making their voices heard, who are showing up, putting their health and the health of their families at risk every single day to provide the best care they can in a system that lacks capacity because uh, due in part the minister's failings to adequately resource the system leading up to this pandemic and certainly throughout it. Some are suggesting that the health minister should resign because of those comments, and others are saying, just hang on a second. Do we have to call for someone to resign every time they say something we don't like? Uh, what do you think? I think that, um, you know, the minister's comments yesterday about the doctors, and I, I think what people are probably also reacting to is 
is the cumulative impact of some of his remarks. You know, the, this minister said only a, a couple of weeks ago that the deaths in long-term care homes were unavoidable, which has been flat out uh, condemned by medical experts across the country. And so I think that uh, what people are really responding to actually is this pattern from the minister of, of making these callous and unfounded remarks in a way that is quite harmful. And, 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 you know, he has an opportunity right now to apologize for those remarks and to attempt to repair, you know, damage that was done with the comments that he made. As Manitobans look around and, and try to get answers for how do we find ourselves in this situation, there are some that are pointing to the minister's comments and saying, hey, maybe we're getting a more of an inside look about what this government's attitude towards COVID-19 is overall. We found out that the the emergency response center, for lack of better terminology, was actually shut down during parts of this pandemic and just restarted. Do you get a sense that we got some insight with regard to how this government overall sees the pandemic and and our response in terms of taking our foot off the gas on this. I do. I, I think that, you know, when comments like that are made, it, it allows for folks to assess uh, decision-making in a more fulsome manner. And, and that's why I do think that an apology from the minister is so important because, you know, it, it's showing accountability. It's showing that he has the capacity to reflect on the impact of his words and his decision-making. And I think it would help reinstill trust you know, trust for Manitobans that the government um, is able to be accountable, to acknowledge any missteps and to move forward in a better way. And so that's my hope for, for today is that not only does the government start making better decisions in terms of how they're handling this pandemic and the minister step up and make you know, better decisions in the system, but also that the minister can do the right thing here, apologize to Manitoba doctors acknowledge he made a mistake and then move move forward with that uh with that spirit in mind and i think that that would help repair relationships across the board and certainly help repair and rebuild trust before we let you go you know i think it's easy sometimes on the outside and i've been guilty of this too you know you, you can judge quickly well what 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 i would do i would do this differently i would handle this differently and and we're trying all really hard here not to point fingers and so it going forward what's the first step beyond an apology to making sure that our doctors do feel like they have the right resources in place i mean it, it i i think the letter happened because they weren't getting that face-to-face dialogue i can only speculate but what would you do if you're in this position you're the health critic what's what happens after the apology absolutely i think you just nailed it right it's that it's that acknowledgement of the expertise that is being generously shared and contributed to do the only thing that that doctors and healthcare workers are focused on doing during these times providing the best care they possibly can prioritizing the health and safety of manitobans it's acknowledging those efforts it's providing doctors and healthcare workers immediately with the resources that they need in order to do their job safely and to keep you know patients and folks accessing healthcare safe as well so, you know, beyond the apology, it's taking immediate action to provide the resources that doctors have been calling for. And it's acknowledging that that expertise that they're very generously sharing at their own, you know, potentially personal, professional risk is valuable and regarded uh, highly by the leaders in our political system and leaders across the board. 
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.